It's been said that the shower is the best place to do life's deepest thinking. Many of my deepest philosophical moments have been in the shower, and this has led to a common phenomena called shower thoughts, the type of thoughts and questions that one can only ponder when in the shower. I want to share with you some of my favorite. Number one, how come I've never seen my neighbors bringing in their groceries? I mean, I know I've brought in my groceries, but how many of us have actually seen our neighbors bringing in bags of food? Suspicious. Number two, does my stomach think that all potatoes are mashed potatoes? doesn't matter how you eat your potatoes, baked, fries, hash browns, they all end up mashed eventually. Third one, in order to fall asleep, you actually have to pretend that you're asleep. You're never going to be able to view your bedtime routine the same way again. Number four, what if we all see different colors, but we just call them the same thing? We'll never know if your green is the same as my green. And lastly, brushing your teeth is the only time that you clean your skeleton. Try to get that image out of your head now. Now, sometimes I have found myself asking more serious questions, however. Have you ever asked this question before? If Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross, then why is there still sin? So in case you don't know, let me give you a two-minute summary of the mission of Jesus. You and I have all sinned, meaning that we've missed the mark. Think of it like a bullseye. If the bullseye is the perfect standard, then none of us have hit it. This is what happens when we choose to reject the good and reject God. Now, admittedly, some of us have missed the mark way more than others, but when it comes to perfection, we all fall short. We have all contributed to the fact that there is evil in the world around us, and that evil and sin deserves a punishment. Just like if I stole your car, you'd want me to pay a fine or serve jail time. Sin deserves judgment. So what is God to do when he loves his creation who also happen to be sinners? How does a perfect and holy God be in relationship with broken and sinful humanity? Now, this is where Jesus comes in. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He didn't miss the mark. But on the cross, when Jesus was crucified, he took our sin on himself and he paid the price that we deserved so that we could overcome sin, so that sin and death couldn't have power over us anymore, so that we would be cleansed from sin. And the Bible teaches that he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and promises that one day he'll return. So, That begs the question, if Jesus supposedly overcame sin, then why do I and others still struggle? I mean, I thought we were dead to our sin. I thought that by God's spirit, we've overcome sin. So why is it that I can accept Jesus's forgiveness and be cleansed of all sin and the very same day go and sin some more? Better yet, I mean, how come God didn't just zap me up into heaven the moment that I was forgiven? Why stay here on earth to struggle with sin and suffering and evil? Is there going to be a day when Jesus does away with sin and evil once and for all? There is, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We're in the final week of a three-week series called Evil. And so far, we've learned that evil is not the creation of God, it's the rejection of God. We've also learned that in order to resist evil, we must practice the presence of God. Today, we're answering what is the ultimate end of evil. So let's go back to the first question that we posed at the beginning. If Jesus defeated sin and death as crucifixion and resurrection, then why is there still sin in the world? Why does Jesus leave us here to continue to struggle with sin and evil instead of just whisking us away? Well, we're not the only people who've struggled with this question. The Apostle Peter was once writing to a group of Christ followers who were undergoing some serious persecution. It seemed like the whole world hated them. 
And they were asking the same question that we're asking today. When is Jesus going to finish the job? He sure is taking his sweet time. Why is he so slow? This is the Apostle Peter's response. He said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to accept his repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by a fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, what Peter is describing here is the ultimate end of evil, also known as the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ. But did you catch what Peter says? He says Jesus isn't being slow. No, no, no. He's being gracious. He wants everyone to have the opportunity to accept his gift of forgiveness. As your outline says, as Christ followers, we live in an in-between period between Jesus' victory on the cross and his eventual return to annihilate sin and evil once and for all. Some Bible scholars describe God's kingdom as already but not yet meaning that we experience glimpses of God's kingdom. We experience God's presence through his Holy Spirit. We can overcome sin and temptation, but we also still have to grapple with the reality of evil in the world around us. Let me put it this way. If you've lived in Vancouver for over a year, then you know that around October to April, we get nothing but rain. But there's always a week or two around March where the sun comes out, it starts to warm up, everything seems to get better, And then April comes and it's back to rain. But that one week is glorious. You can feel that summer is coming. You catch a glimpse of summer and yet summer is still far off. Summer isn't here yet. That's sort of the reality that we live in our everyday lives. We catch glimpses of God's kingdom here on earth, but we won't see the full picture until Christ returns. Okay, why, why do we even have to wait at all? Why doesn't God come back already? Well, Peter answers it in his letter. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I want you to imagine a scenario. Two kings are in a bloody war with each other that's lasted for decades. Now, eventually, one king defeats the other, and the war is won. But even though that king was defeated, his followers are still out there. And maybe some of them haven't ever heard the news of their king's defeat. So they're still living loyal lives to their defeated king. So the victorious king issues a decree to all of his men. He says to his men, travel the lands, declare my victory, announce to all the king has conquered. And when you come across an enemy soldier, I want you to inform them of their defeat and give them the opportunity to switch sides. They can become loyal to this victorious king, no questions asked. They will be spared and they will share in the victory. Now, there will be a day where that one king finishes the job and anyone who is still loyal to their defeated king will be annihilated. They can choose to remain loyal to their previous master, but they're going to have to answer for that loyalty. The opportunity to join the victorious king's kingdom is open and available. All they have to do is give up their loyalty to their defeated king. Okay. Now, Imagine this whole story as Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is the victorious king. For all intents and purposes, the battle is won. Jesus defeated death. 
Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection was enough. Sin has been conquered, but there are still people out there who haven't joined Jesus' side, who haven't heard of Jesus' victory. And just like that king, Jesus wants everyone to be given the opportunity to join his kingdom. The invitation is open and the price has been paid, but we can choose to reject that offer, continue to reject God, to live in sin and evil, and by doing so, we are choosing loyalty to sin. And God promises that one day there will be a day where sin and death will be punished. Okay, but, but why doesn't Jesus just do away with all evil right now? Well, because he wants everyone to be given the opportunity to switch sides, to join his kingdom. But the Bible declares that there will come a day where sin and death are annihilated once and for all. But until that day comes, you and I exist in this in-between. Jesus is victorious and yet evil still exists in the world. And as we learned last week, we must constantly resist this evil and its effects in our world. So, what is this final day and when will it happen? Well, any discussion into the end times can become extremely controversial. Faithful, intelligent Christ followers have disagreed about how exactly to interpret what the Bible teaches about that final day. We're not going to get into all the different theories because we'd be here all week. But if you are interested in an in-depth discussion about the teachings around the end times, I recommend that you watch Pastor Darren's teaching on the book of Revelation found on our website. For our purposes today, what we need to understand is that there will be a day where evil ceases to exist. This is known as the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ. God will pour out his wrath on all evil and evildoers. He will then create a new heaven and a new earth. And just like the king in our analogy, all those still loyal to evil will be judged. And all those loyal to God will be welcomed into his new kingdom. And it's here that Christ followers will be freed from all aspects of evil. God's kingdom will be fully realized, will no longer be in this in-between. Now you might be thinking, how are you so sure that there won't be any more evil? Well, as your outline says, there will no longer be an outer source of temptation. In the Bible, Satan is described as the tempter. Outwardly, we can be tempted by Satan and his demons. But once Jesus returns, we see the final end of Satan. The book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, describes the events. It says, And the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Not only this, but we will be in perfect union with God, dwelling in his presence with no hindrances and no barriers. But also, as your outline says, there will no longer be an inner source of temptation. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, you don't suddenly become perfect. Instead, God begins a sanctifying work in you. He is shaping you and molding you more into the image of Jesus. Now, the Bible teaches in the book of Philippians that this work will be complete once Jesus returns. It says this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Our sinful natures will be completely eradicated. There won't be any evil because there won't be a source of temptation to commit evil. And all of this leads us to our big idea of today, to sum up today's teaching. The short time that God allows evil to exist is nothing compared to an eternity free of its presence. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this truth in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
The evil that you experience today will not last for eternity. It will come to an end. Evil's days are numbered. The battle is already won. Now, I know what you're thinking. You remember week one of this series. You remember that evil is sourced in the ability to choose, right? The reason evil exists is because we have chosen to reject that which is good, which is God. We've also learned that God allows for the possibility of evil because love at its highest form must be a choice. God did not pre-program us to choose him because that wouldn't be true love. Love requires a choice. Now you're thinking, this new reality where evil doesn't exist because there's no source of temptation, it sounds a lot like there's no ability to choose, right? Aren't we like right back where we started? It sounds like God is like rewarding his followers by taking away their freedom. Evil will be destroyed, but at the cost of people's free will? Except that we're missing a crucial aspect in this. In order to reach this new reality, we had to choose God. The only reason that we can experience a world free from evil is because we chose to reject evil and embrace God. It's not that we're unable to choose differently. It's that there's no reason to choose otherwise. There's nothing as enticing as God himself. And there's no source of temptation. So we'll see things as they really are. And that will always result in us choosing God. Think of it like a husband and a wife who've chosen each other. They have rejected all of their options and they've chosen to get married. And now they are so madly in love with each other that even the possibility of rejection or betrayal is out of the question. It would be wrong to say that they didn't choose each other. They did. It's because of their intense love for each other that's rooted in the fact that they chose each other. That's what makes their love special. And that's what it will be like with God. Okay, so what does all of this mean for us? How does the ultimate end of evil affect my life here and now? How should knowing that Jesus is coming back affect me? Now, here's the thing. To be fully honest with you, growing up, I was always scared about the end times. It's easy to get sucked down a rabbit trail of conspiracy theories about the end of the world. There are well-meaning Christians out there who think that they have cracked the code and deciphered all of the prophecies about the end times. And whenever I would hear these things, I'd be so fearful. I found myself afraid of Jesus coming again. It sounded awful, to be honest. I found myself hoping that Jesus didn't return in my lifetime. And eventually I had to stop myself. Wait, I'm actually hoping that Jesus doesn't return. I mean, that's kind of messed up, right? Something's wrong here. See, when some Christ followers talk about the end times, they and others end up experiencing fear and paranoia. But for Christ followers, we have nothing to fear about Jesus' return. In fact, it should be the thing that we're hoping for the most. When the apostles taught about the end times in the New Testament, they were actually doing that to encourage their audiences, not scare them, not discourage them. These were Christ followers experiencing huge levels of persecution. They were experiencing evil in its purest form. And they kept asking themselves, when is this gonna end? How could God allow this evil to happen to us? And the apostles were encouraging them, saying, listen, there will be a day where God does away with all evil. There will be a day where his justice prevails. The pain and the challenges that you're facing right now are not even worth comparing to how amazing that day will be. As Christ followers, we should respond to today's teaching in three ways. Number one, Jesus' return should make us excited. We should be excited because finally we get to experience God's kingdom with No hindrances, no obstacles. Number two, Jesus' return should give us comfort. 
The pain and the challenges that you're facing in your life right now will not last forever. There will come a day where Jesus does away with all pain, all suffering, all evil. The Bible says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is a promise from God. Take heart knowing that the temporary struggles that you experience right now are not even worth comparing to how great things will be for eternity. And lastly, Jesus' return should give us peace. You know that person who hurt you? You know that injustice that you faced? You know the evildoers around the world that seem like they get away with it? God promises that one day all injustice and all evil will be punished. The Bible says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You may experience injustice in life, or life might seem unfair to you now, but God promises that no injustice will go unpunished. So you can have a peace that actually allows you to forgive others. Now, these are just some of the ways that someone who has a hope for eternity responds differently to life. We live in a world where everyone is living for the here and now, and when disappointment and pain comes, they're left with nothing but fear and discouragement. When they're experiencing suffering, they're only left with despair. And when injustice comes, they're left with resentment and anxiety. In our final moments together, I wanna to acknowledge that it's so easy to say, oh, our suffering is gonna be temporary and there'll be a day where Jesus does away with all suffering and evil. But that doesn't really change the fact that you're going through right now is serious and painful. You've experienced evil in its truest form. Your suffering is here and now, and I don't wanna make light of that. I don't wanna say that you should just get over it because it's temporary. I want you to know that God sees your suffering. In fact, he himself knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus suffered on the cross, even though he didn't deserve it. Suffering and evil are not in God's nature. And what we've talked about today isn't gonna fix all your problems, but it's my prayer that it brings you hope. It's my prayer that it brings you comfort and peace. God's empowering presence is available to you right now in your struggle. So open yourself up to him and allow him into your life. The reality that Jesus is coming back, that he will do away with evil once and for all should bring us hope. A hope that helps us to persevere through the challenges of life. Do you have that hope today? If you don't, I wanna give you an opportunity to accept his hope, to accept his forgiveness, to enter into God's kingdom, to switch sides, to turn away from evil and accept his love and grace. And so if that's you today, I'll just encourage you to open your heart up to God and pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I've messed up, I've sinned. I've turned my own way and I've done my own thing. I don't deserve your love. I can never earn your love. But today I choose to accept this gift of forgiveness that you offer me. I choose to turn away from my sin and I choose to follow you. God, I know I won't be perfect, but I know that I'm a child of God. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. If you prayed that prayer today or you need to respond in a certain way, I encourage you to text the number on the screen in front of you. There's a pastor on the other side of that number. We'd love to connect with you and tell you what your next steps are in your faith or just to pray with you. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. Have a blessed week.